Disclaimer. The 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition series is about real ongoing homicide investigations. The following conversation may be disturbing to some people and is not recommended for all ages. Please take a moment and decide if you would like to continue listening or watching. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome to 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition. My name is Andy O'Brien. I'll be your host for the series. Today's fourth cold case edition surrounds a double homicide for Therese Melanson and Florence Harrison. Uh, today, I'm with lead homicide detective with Toronto Police Service, Steve Smith. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Thanks for having me, Andy. So this is a this is a very uh, this case is from what year is this uh, this case uh, from? It's from January of uh, 1997. And you want to tell me a little bit, just set up uh, where this took place and uh, and what was the crime? Absolutely. This uh, took place back in the old Regent Park. I know it's uh, regentrificated now, but it's uh, this is back before the uh, before the renovations in Regent Park. So we had all the low rise buildings down there. And I, th I think let's try and recreate. So for Therese and Florence, what were their last moments uh, of their life like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Therese and Florence were out that evening uh, having a couple drinks together, uh, celebrating. A little bit. They'd both uh, been in the process of cleaning their lives up and they were starting to move on uh, from some things that, that they've been involved in in the past. Um, so they were out celebrating that night, having a few drinks over at uh, Dundas and Parliament. And that's the last place that they were seen about 1, 1 a.m. on the uh, 6th of January, 1997. And what was the name of the restaurant or bar back then? Back then it was the Golden Ring Restaurant. So it was a, a well-known watering hole in the uh, Regent Park area where yeah. a lot of the locals went by. I mean, there was a lot back, back in those days, a lot of watering holes in and around Queen, up Parliament, uh, both north and south of, of Regent. And in that area, so when we look at where the building, uh, we, have a, we have a picture for those uh, viewers at home. This was the building um, where the ladies were found in the hallway, I believe. So let's describe the specifics of the, of the crime scene and the, and the crime specifics. Well, the, the building itself, they're obviously the low-rise buildings. Uh, they do have elevators, but they also had stairwells. And back in, at that time, a lot of people used the stairwells to go in and out of the buildings. Uh, there were side doors on each of the, uh, the buildings. So they'd go up and they'd go down. They'd go to different uh, apartments within the, uh, the buildings, whether they had friends there or whether they're, you know, s some of the buildings had drug dealers in them. Some of them were drug houses. Um, but people would go in, in and out of the building. So... Both Florence and, uh, and Therese were last seen over at the Golden Ring having a couple drinks. Last call, they'd left. Um, they were last seen walking across Parliament towards Dundas. Uh, in our opinion, they, they'd met with someone that they knew, went up into the stairwell for whatever reason. They had a few friends in the building they made, went okay. to, to say hi, visit. Um, but unfortunately, about 12 hours later, they were found in the hallway, uh, both shot dead. And that area, so right basically at Sackville um, and Dundas was the location of this building. That's correct. So where would the, in your opinion, where did the perpetrator, the perpetrator came in with them? I would think so. I mean, they could have been already in the building. Um, Therese and, and Florence may have went in to visit someone and the perpetrator may have been in the building or they may have met up with the perpetrator and walked into the building themselves. I mean, back in those days, Regent Park was pretty bustling all hours of the day and night. There was a a lot of action going on uh, in throughout all the buildings. And so I, I guess, you know, with the, if the individual did get in there with them, 
there may have been, do you think there was an argument that ensued? No one heard any arguing, no one heard any gunshots. No one came forward regarding any of these, uh, anything at all. Yeah. Back in uh, 97 in Regent, there's a lot of stuff going on. So a lot of people, uh, pretty much kept to themselves. Um, but it is true. I mean, couple gunshots in your hallway you'd think someone would have called in and the yeah. fact that i mean they weren't their bodies weren't found in the stairwell till 12 hours later so people may have been walking over them and not bothered to call in like we, we just don't know right 12 hours is a long time in a building full of people so this happened essentially what you, you're thinking what 1 2 233 in the morning yeah 233 in the morning probably sometime between 3 and 4 maybe also for 12 hours yeah those bodies were still sitting there just laying there in the hallway horrific and in terms of the, um, so we, they were both shot. Was there any other, was there any stabbing, any other type of offense? No, they were both shot. Both shot. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, uh, the possible motives, let's talk a little bit about who these, who, who these individuals were and potentially who could have been involved in this, in this type of lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Florence and Therese were both well known in the area. I mean, they both had been involved in the sex trade previously, and they both had had addiction problems. Um, at this point, they had been both been changing their lives around. But they're from that area. That's where their friends were. They, they went down there to party and be with their friends and such. Um, not necessarily to, to do what they had done in the past, but move on with their lives, um, but still see their friends. There's a few differing opinions of what may have happened, um, whether, you know, a drug dealer got upset with them, um, whether there was some sort of dispute. Uh, the girls were tough. I mean, they, were, they weren't going to back down, right? If they were confronted yeah. with somebody, they were going to stand up for themselves. Um, there were some allegations that they may have taken a drug dealer's car on a, on a uh, joyride. Um, they didn't smash it up or, or anything. They brought it back. But uh, apparently he was pretty upset about that. But we know, I mean, it was a it was a community into itself back in the Regent Park buildings yeah. at that time, and uh, we know that people know what happened. Um, and they may have moved on with their lives now. And do you think, in terms of, I guess, evidence collected? Let's talk about any evidence collected. Let's talk about DNA. What did you guys get? Yeah, we have male DNA um, from the bodies, so all we need is is a name to match it up with. Um, we've been doing our investigations. We still have no hits on the National DNA Data Bank. Um, this person hasn't come back up. They haven't met a threshold offense to have their DNA taken. So at this point, it's still unknown offender DNA that we have. And what type of bullets, what type of gun was used in this crime? Do we oh, know? You know what? I don't have that right now, but uh, I'm not sure exactly what it was. Sorry, I apologize. I don't know. That's the, fine. Uh, I just the exact um, caliber of the weapon. I can't believe that. Well, first of all, I don't believe. I think people heard the gunshots. There's no way that you didn't hear gun that someone didn't hear anything or an I would assume an argument ensued. Where so were they shot head on or was this done? Where where were the victims shot and um, did they know this was coming? It it appears as though that they'd been put on their knees in the hallway and they were shot from above while they were on their knees. So chances are they were playing for their life. Chances are they were crying. Chances are there was there were sounds that were made outside of the bullet. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this, I'm sure these two knew their way around Regent Park. They, they weren't going to be silent. They knew the, the best way to get out of something is to, to create noise, right? To draw attention. Yeah. Um, if you're in trouble, you draw attention to yourself. So I'm sure there was a lot of noise. Why nobody called in or involved themselves? 
who knows? Um, maybe the offender was someone known in the community and nobody wanted to deal with him. He may, he may have been a violent offender that everybody knew from the community and wanted nothing to do with. So fear. Absolutely. Mo- uh, yeah, I guess, you know, for the most part, people don't come forward and because they feared for their own safety of themselves and their family. That's right. And like I said, back in the day, I mean, the, these, uh, the, the low rises in Regent were very vibrant at night. So there was a lot of stuff going on. I'm sure gunshots were fairly, uh, um, common, common in, in that time. Um, probably most of the time into walls and such, just people messing around with their firearms. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of action, people screaming, yelling in the hallways all hours of the day and night. So People yeah. may have just chosen to ignore these things when they happen. And this was definitely, um, they were definitely targeted. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, this wasn't random. Um, yeah. Whatever whatever occurred between the ladies and, and whoever killed them was, it, w- it was a targeted event. Yeah. Um, he specifically did this in re- retaliation for something that had occurred that night. And that's typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but when somebody is put into... Uh, onto their knees and then execute. That's an execution type. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that's just, you know, taking full control of them and, and yeah. basically taking the will out of them and then and sending a message. That's right. Putting bullets in their head. So, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that people could be capable of doing that sort of thing, yeah. especially in a, a hallway in a, in a low rise apartment. Um, that's pretty brazen. I mean, people could be coming and going at any time. You could be seen. Um, but they obviously weren't too concerned with that. And in this building, I mean, when you look at, at it, there's a ton of windows. Where's the, um, just for our viewers, and we'll try and explain it for the listeners, but where would they have entered? Was there an access to a side door or would it have been yes. the front door? So every time you flip around, there's a, another um, there's another door. So most of the small rise buildings at that time had three separate doors. So you can see where the bushes are would be the front door. Yeah. And then you'd flip right around back. There'd be a back entrance and then over to the far side because it would mushroom. Yeah. The building's mushroomed out. Um, there'd be another third entrance as well. So you could almost run in, run up, run right out the other side. And so where do you think, based on where they were found in the stairwell, where do you, where do you think they entered? Give me, let's try and do a play-by-play in terms of where they entered from and, and where they... Yeah, I mean, not taking into account the fact of maybe they went to an apartment, maybe they had some friends in the the building. Um, it appears as though it was the back stairwell where they were found. So they had went in and went up the back stairwell. That could have been where they ran into their killer as well, if, if he wasn't with them and took them inside. And I mean, you would think that... Do you think this individual even was at the bar with them potentially? Absolutely. The bar owner was pretty forthcoming and she said that there wasn't anyone with them. It was just the two ladies. They were having a couple drinks and they went off on their own. Um, she said people were yelling at them from across into Regent, but it was a friendly, hey, how's it going? Hey, cat, cat calling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. you know, when they were out on the street, everyone was getting out on the street after uh, last call at that point. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at the building here and the buildings no, doesn't does not exist anymore. No, no, they don't. Yeah, all, all the region's been regentrificated now. So the individuals that were in this building obviously are scattered throughout Toronto, uh, if they're even alive. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, I mean, it, w- it was a tight community back in the day. Everybody knew everybody else's business. Um, everybody knew what everybody else was up to. Um, a lot of people have moved on from this area. A lot of people have, have got out of the, the drug trade or, or the use of narcotics. They've moved to all different parts of Canada. And we know that there are people that know who, who killed the two ladies. So I think the biggest thing for the, 
you know, from the general public. And then we'll just talk a little bit more about the the case specifics. But from the gen, in terms of the general public, um, what do you think is the best chance for you guys to solve this this uh, this cold case? You know, as with most of our cases where we have DNA, we just need the name. We don't need anyone. We don't need a witness necessarily. Um, we just need a name so we can match up the DNA. Um, we'll we'll find that person, whether they've moved on wherever. We'll we'll find them, but we just need to know who did this to them. And for the DNA here, I mean, do you use uh, so for United States, for instance? Um, have you are you able to do kind of a scan there? Is this typically the DNA scan for for Canada? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any of our crime scene um, DNA is run through the National DNA Data Bank in okay. Canada. We can make application to run it through foreign um, countries, which we do relatively every every couple of years. We'll run all our unknown DNA through both uh, the UK and the uh, US, okay. mostly because they're the biggest databases. So we run it through and see if we get a match or not. Unfortunately, we haven't had one. It, this just surprises me that, you know, with such a tight knit community, you know, you'd think that you would want to try and prevent, you know, these types of acts happening moving forward people protecting their children, you know, protecting their community. Um, what do you, you know, if you have a message for anybody, um, you know, I think right now it's probably not about protecting themselves or their community right now. It's really about their conscience, right? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, people have moved on. It's, you know, at the time you had to live in the area, you may have had to live beside the person that did this. So if you didn't want to say anything or you're scared, it's, it's understandable. And we don't need any other information except for the person's name. Um, you, you can leave it anonymously with whoever you want, uh, Crime Stoppers, uh, call our office, uh, what, however you feel comfortable in providing us that name, we'll follow up on it. And so let's talk a little bit more about the individual that did this. So we know it was a male. Is there anything else from the DNA that we know? No. So we're in the process of doing... Uh, biographic ancestry right now to see if we can okay. find the root population of, of the male um, to help us narrow down because we, we did receive a number of people, a number of uh, persons of interest that people had called in to us, but we've gone through most of that list and the DNA hasn't come back. Okay. Um, so we're looking to narrow it down a little further. We're in that process right now. And there, so there hasn't, um, there hasn't been, um, nobody's panned out in terms of anybody that was put forward? No, unfortunately not. I mean, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the names that came through to us were, um, the usual rounders from the area. Um, yeah. so we were able to collect their DNA fairly, um, expeditiously and, and nothing's come back. And so this person, the perpetrator, you feel they're local. Yeah, I feel they're local. I feel it was an internal beef of whatever had happened in that area at the time. Um, whether it was as little as, you know, being disrespected or, I mean, even as simple as taking a car for a joy ride, right? I mean, sometimes the smallest thing can get you killed, I guess. And it's, it's, yeah. un, it's unbelievable to think of, but unfortunately that's what happened. I just can't believe from, even if it was something as, you know, as innocent as, well, I guess not innocent joyriding and stealing a car, but it's still relatively, um, you know, small compared to what happened. They didn't deserve to be, to be executed like that. Um, It just makes you think, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of 
people in that neighborhood, there has to be, there absolutely has to be someone that knows who this person is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it would have spread. Has to like, be. Yeah, it would have spread like wildfire through the community. I mean, people would have known what happened. And I mean, understanding at the time, it, it was a, you know, a fairly dangerous area. If people were caught talking to the police or providing these names or they were needed to be used as witnesses, they'd, they'd yeah. put their own life in peril, right? And that's what we're hoping is, you know, years and years later, people have moved on. They have different lives. Um, we don't need witnesses anymore because DNA will tell us the, the truth. Yeah. We just need a name. So. And I think let's try and describe if we can. Let's get a little bit of physical descriptions of uh, Therese and Florence so that we can maybe rejog some individuals' memories so that they re remember those murders taking place. Let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the lady's description. Yeah, I mean, Florence had, uh, I, I'd say, dirty brown hair. She was well-known in the area. She was uh, a stockier lady, um, strong. You know, she liked to have a few cocktails here and there. Um, yeah. She she lived in the area, was well-known. Therese was a little more slender. Um, she as well lived in the area, um, blonde hair. Uh, anybody that Anybody that hears their names knows who they are, that that was from the area. Yeah, I just, you know, typically something like this, um, obviously it's personal. Yeah. Um, you know, the individual that did this, uh, the word has for sure spread because like you said, you know, in that type of small, uh, tight-knit community, everybody knows everybody. People know, people know who did this. And I think, um, you know, if you can just leave your name, be discreet, you don't have to come forward and DNA will really do the, uh, do the work, the legwork here. Um, is there anything else about this particular individual? Was there any car? Was there any footprint? There was no cameras on this building as well, right? No, if there was any of the cameras, they weren't working. Um, that happened in the area sometimes. Uh, there were very few cameras and the ones that were, yeah. were usually taken out of service pretty quickly. Obviously now we have much better cameras in the buildings. Um, yeah, we, unfortunately, we don't have any pictures. I think um, what we need is some someone that has this on their conscience to, um, you know, to come forward. And um, I think the people that are, you know, hurt the most by these are the families. Let's talk a little bit about the ladies' families. I mean, both families, um, they've moved on. They've moved out of the city. Um, working class families, they, they obviously want to know who killed their loved ones. Um, as we've said a million times, they, they, they didn't deserve this for whatever the, the slight was that they were killed for. Yeah. It, it wasn't big enough to kill two ladies. Like it's just, it's just not the way it goes. Right. So there are families who, so for Therese, for instance, who yep. have you been in touch with from, uh, from I've been family? in touch with Therese's daughter and, uh, we actually did a video appeal on YouTube with, uh, with both Teresa's daughter and Florence's sister, okay, um, where they appealed to the killers to come forward. And unfortunately, um, we only received one tip after that. Um, what we're hoping from the podcast as well is someone may have forgotten that they actually know this, right? If they weren't directly involved and they weren't there during the murder and they heard that they someone, mind. that's right. Yeah. They may have, this may jog their memory that, oh, you know what? I was told at the time who this was. And that's what we're hoping. And they, they come forward, get to as big an audience as we possibly can. And Florence, you were saying, who are you in touch with again for, for Florence's Florence? Florence's sister. Florence's sister. Yeah. And basically it's like we see with all these cold case files is people just want closure. People want to know what happened and why. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you, you can't even imagine having one of your loved ones murdered and yeah. then being years and years later and not knowing who or why. And I think too, a lot of times, um, 
I would imagine people that do know about this. Um, I think they believe that it was so long ago that maybe it's, it doesn't matter anymore. Maybe they, uh, you know, they can't bring this person to justice because it, it was so long ago, but know that there is DNA. So once there's a name provided, it could lock this case up. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's all we need. And we can, we can give the, the families closure for this. Uh, we can provide the, the ladies with a little bit of closure in their, in their life. I mean, just, it's just, unfortunately, we don't know who, who did this. This is something, you know, um, as we've talked about, you know, I have the, I have the, um, the pleasure of working with individuals like yourself. And I've, I've had the pleasure of working with FBI and RCMP and talking about different cold case files. And it's, it, this is something where two women were brutally executed in a building, you know, even if it was 19, what, what, what 97, was 97, yeah. two women were executed in a building where multiple people heard in the building. This is something that I think a big part of this podcast is rejogging people's memories. This was two women that were brutally murdered, you know, at Sackville and Dundas. They were both, you know, put onto their knees and shot in the back of the head. Absolutely. At the time, people may not have felt comfortable coming forward um, and they may have forgotten in the meantime. And if this jogs their memory and they're like, yeah, I know who did this, just yeah, give I us mean, a call. Yeah, now's the time. I mean, look, People were, people were murdered with all the other, as I was mentioning with the other cold cases that I work with, these are, these are things that people don't forget. You don't forget hearing gunshots and then seeing bodies carried out of the, out of a building. You don't, you don't forget these two women that you know in the area and then, you know, seeing them in the newspapers that they were brutally murdered and hearing from somebody from somewhere about, you know, who actually did this. So th th we need to jog people's memories because these women were murdered and people do definitely know who it was. And it's just an anonymous tip away from solving this case. Yeah, 100%. And um, so with this case, so what um, it, would you say in terms of, uh, is this case different from all, a lot of the other cold case files? Um, what makes this one different? Or is, it, is there a lot of similarities that you're dealing with? Well, I mean, in a lot of the cases that we've spoken about, we're seeing the same it's where it's, it's violence against vulnerable women. Um, the, the difference with this case as to a number of the other cases is that this was in a public place. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't somewhere where nobody would have been around. They would have been taking a chance of, of people walking by, walking into the stairwell, standing outside when they're running away. Um, they, they didn't care. They, they just went ahead and, and shot the, the two young ladies um, and they didn't really care who was around or who was going to see them or who was going to hear them. They, they didn't bother them at the time. And we, we don't know if this was one or two. I would imagine this, this could have, well, could have easily been multiple people in there at the time. Absolutely. I mean, obviously one person was wielding the, the firearm, but there yeah. could have been, there could have been multiple people. It could have been one person, could have been 10 people, right? We don't really know. And if there was somebody, because uh, I think this is where the biggest fear is, if there was somebody or person or persons with the murderer, during this offense, you're not going to charge. They, if they come forward, are they safe from charges? We just want to know who pulled the trigger. That's who we want. We want the yeah. name of the person that pulled the trigger on these two young ladies. That's who we're looking for at this point. Yeah, I think that's important to touch on because I think a lot of people that may have been there, if there was anybody there, that would be a big fear of theirs. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, 
if you're there and someone does something erratic, you ne- necessarily don't have the means of stopping them, especially if they've got a firearm in their in their possession, right? Yeah. You can come forward and let us know that you were there and you saw this and it was this person, but that this is the the person that pulled the trigger. And I think, you know, yeah, 100%. I mean, this is an opportunity that they have to to be square, you know, and to make it right, you know, because I think um, obviously I get the fear element, you know, but now's the time to make it right. Now's the time to come forward. And I think nowadays, you know, this wouldn't have happened. There is no way you would have got in and out of this building today in this area, like you say, without being on camera. Oh, a hundred percent. You, there's no possible way we would have had, we would have had 20 pictures of the person. Not only that, they probably would have texted each other to, to say, let's meet up. Right. 100%. Um, Back at this time, it was more of a random meeting or you went into a a place and someone was there. Nowadays you're checking, I'm coming over to your place. Who's there? Everything's on your phones. Everything's on video. There's, there's no way that this would happen these days. There's no way. And even if, um, you know, on the outside, you know, every block has a camera. So whether they got into a car, their car would have been on camera or if they were, you know, they walked two blocks away, they would have been on camera. So really what we're relying on here is an individual that knows who this is. And there, and there are individuals that know who this is. So, um, I think people need to, to make this right. Absolutely. I agree. And Steve, I wanted to um, to thank you very much for being with us today. That's uh, that's going to wrap our show up for today. Thank you for viewing, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next time.